Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Emily Oberg, owner and founder of Sporty and Rich, the five-year-old wellness-based brand that started as an Instagram mood board. After starting her career at Streetwear Focus, Complex, and Kith, Emily now owns a $30 million business that has collaborated with brands including Adidas. It also opened its first store slash wellness club in July. I wanted to ask Emily about her long-term goal for the brand, which has been worn by celebs, including Hailey Bieber. I also wanted to ask about that recent New York Times profile. How has the brand benefited from being positioned as the next goop? Hi, Emily. Hi. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. Thanks oh for my having gosh. me. Tell me about that great press. Did it have a, a halo effect on the brand, would you say? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the New York Times is definitely like a seal of approval and validation. Um, you know, I, I've been covered by multiple outlets in the past, but I think the New York Times is just like, it's just on another level. You know, it's like real journalism. And I feel like if the New York Times is covering you, you're doing something right or worthwhile. So um, that definitely was just like, for me personally, just a huge accomplishment. Um, and yeah, of course, it helped the brand, you know, we got more exposure, I think people kind of, it put us in a new light, maybe, maybe more of a serious light of like, this is a real brand, this is not just like a merch brand, started by like a, an influencer, um, which it started out as for sure, but we've definitely progressed into something bigger. And that that's kind of been my hope um, over the course of these past few years. So I, I was really, yeah, I was just really like personally fulfilled with that piece of press. Right on. Well, I appreciate it that you didn't like play it too cool for school and you posted about like how it was validating. I was like, that's refreshing actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, keep it real. Yeah. But tell me about your influencer past because um, we had done stories around 2019, a little prior, um, where we always wrote about you when we when we talked about women in streetwear and women working in this like male dominant, um, dominated industry. Yeah. That's how you would have described yourself. Yeah. And had you always been interested in streetwear? Yeah. Um, you know, my dad was really into streetwear, um, when he was growing up and he was in high school and he still is like his style is not deviated at all, which I think is super cool. Um, you know, he was a skater in high school and he was like always into collecting sneakers. He still does. Um, he was obviously a very big influence for me and just kind of like growing up around that, you know, he educated me on different brands and just kind of like having a really unique sense of style and not deviating from that. You know, he's always been very consistent with like his taste and what he's been into. Um, so I grew up around it for sure. And then, you know, when I was, I would say around like 14, 15, I, I became really obsessed with like streetwear culture this was at the time when hype beast you know was kind of first starting out and it was like the bible for people in the streetwear and sneaker world and it was very niche at that time like now it's very ubiquitous and it's pretty mass i would say um but at that time it was super niche and it was you know collecting sneakers they were they were, first of all they were hard to find especially in women's sizes it was i remember it always by men's sneakers in the small size they were still too big for me but i wanted to wear them so badly i wore them anyway um and i just yeah i just religiously read the blogs read complex high snobiety high beast 
I think those were kind of like the main pillars of what got me into all of this and just like media around streetwear and articles and just you know reading the blogs and the comments and that that's like a whole other subculture um but yeah I just became really obsessed with it and when I moved to New York when I was 20 um that was for the Java complex and that that was like a really pinch me moment because you know coming from like the small city in Canada um it's not something I ever dreamed of happening for me. So that was, it was pretty surreal. Um, and yeah, when I, when they reached out to me, it was kind of, it was very serendipitous and obviously led me to where I am now. But um, that was, that was a huge moment. I mean, so major. Tell me about the streetwear environment in terms of how it's changed to better cater to women, would you say? And is that something that fueled the start of your brand? Would you even categorize it as streetwear? Um, because we always, like you said, talked about the sizing being you know, not suited and also the pink it and shrink it and all that, that stuff. Um, but yeah, has it changed? For sure. I would say, you know, the bigger brands, you know, the Nikes, the Adidas, the New Balances definitely started catering to this need. Um, you know, women wanted sneakers and I think they've done a good job at, you know, adapting size runs and kind of making collections that are more suited to what women want, but without being like frilly and pink and like sparkly and that kind of stuff, like what people think girls like. <laughs> um, yes. And so, yeah, I think you know, and there's definitely more and more brands. I, I would say, I wouldn't call them just like streetwear focused, but I would just say brands that are, I guess, kind of casual, less fashion, less like dress, tailored kind of clothing focused. Um, and there's definitely a lot more out there. I still think women in streetwear is, is a pretty niche thing. You know, there's like Grace Bonner and Martine Rose, um, I definitely think there's not as many sh female streetwear led brands as there are male, but um, I think everything, you know, people are just so unisex with the way they dress these days is it doesn't really matter as much because, you know, women are buying men's things a lot. That's why we do primarily unisex. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's definitely expanded and gotten bigger, but um, I don't know if like women in streetwear is a mass thing at this point still. Well, tell me about your account and Instagram and at what point you saw this becoming your business because at this point, I mean, I can see a lot of folks trying to, I guess, kind of mimic how you, what you did and how, like there's a brand that I, um, uh, an account I follow called Cab Mate and they just do like 90s minimalism with like Carolyn Bassett. Yeah, I love it. Gwyneth. Yeah, I love it too. And they're starting to do merch and I'm like, Hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I see how this happens. But yeah, tell me about the, the what inspired the move and and were people doing this before you? Was this had you known of other brands doing this? Yeah, I mean, the whole mood board to brand thing, I think I was super inspired by Jound, the brand. Um Justin, he was he was a really good friend of mine. Um, and he was super just inspiring with I thought everything he built was super cool and it was just very um unique and organic. Uh, and I think, you know, just being around him and people like that kind of inspired me to want to start my own thing. And I think it was just at the time about documenting and archiving 
images that I liked and that kind of shaped my taste and that inspired me. Um, you know, eventually it became something bigger than that, but my goal was never to really turn that the account into a brand. It was kind of just like, I want to start this mood board. I love, you know, beautiful images and kind of documenting these things that I see and like. Um, and then it became the print magazine, which is what I really want. That was kind of like, I was like, okay, I'll go from like Instagram mood board to magazine. And that was kind of like the end of it. That's what I wanted it to be. Um, I really wanted a print magazine at the time because I worked at Complex, but I was on the digital side. And I always wanted to be on that print side. Um, so yeah, we launched the print magazine, but it was, it's very time intensive. It's very costly. Um, you know, obviously the reward is, the ROI is not the highest when you're doing print, especially, you know, I didn't have advertisers. I was just like doing it independently, like for fun as a hobby while I had a full-time job. So it was a lot. I loved it. It was so fun, but we did four and I was like, that was kind of the end of it. And then after that, it just slowly built into like, you know, people, we, we had a good following and I think people really liked what we were posting. And I think it was kind of like, if I could somehow translate this into a brand or something tangible that people wanted to buy, then let's try that. Why not? Right on. So at the time, well, there after Complex came Kith. I know you were working there as well, um, running the women's side as the creative director or anyway, yeah. head of women, yeah. I'll say. Um, <laughs> so were you, was this happening simultaneously um, in terms of starting your own thing? Or did you kind of one cut off? You're like, let's focus on what I really want to do. Yeah. You know, when I got that job at Kith, it was really like a dream job for me. I, I loved my job at Complex. I like I still think those like four years were like some of the best years of my life just because like I worked with my best friends and I it was just the most fun job ever um and we had a lot of freedom and we were building something from the ground up that didn't exist which was the video platform um so that was just super fun and um I learned so much and then Kith you know I never really wanted to work in media like I loved all the blogs I loved streetwear but I always kind of saw myself in more of like the product design styling side of things, less so media and, um, you know, journalism. So I, I kind of was like, you know, I, I've done my time at complex. I learned a lot, but I feel like this is as far as I want to take this, um, this part of my career. Um, and then, you know, I obviously covered Kith a lot being at Complex and met Ronnie a bunch and just kind of explained that I was looking for something new and something more in the product side of things and the brand side of streetwear. Um, so he gave me that opportunity and that was amazing. You know, I'm like forever grateful for that. Definitely wouldn't be where I am now without that step for sure. Um, and yeah, that was, that was a really great time. I, I learned so much. I think you know, just being part of a brand that's that huge, you know, right now it's, it's even bigger than it was, but at that time it was still huge, like probably one of the biggest streetwear brands ever. Um, so, you know, just being able to do things like New York fashion week and designing collection for that and prepping for that, that was surreal. And, you know, I don't think sporting rich will ever do fashion shows. So the fact that I was able to experience that was incredible. Um, yeah. And there was just so many, you know, like I would compare Kith as like such a bigger brand than us. And just to be able to work for a brand at that scale, obviously opened my eyes to a lot of things and just, yeah, just learned a lot and kind of 
just, I think it was super, it was fun. You know, I think I'd never done anything like that before. So it was all just such a great experience. Yeah. I mean, what a great learning opportunity at this mega brand. Tell me about that jump from publishing or media to um, a retailer or a brand. We're, we're seeing that time and time again, I think increasingly with like Gian from Heisnabite yeah. going to Nordstrom and some other Vogue executives going to Nordstrom. I mean, I mean, it just, does it just make sense? Cause you know so much and you're like, I can do this. <laughs> yeah. Gee, that's so funny. Gian was my boss when I first started at Complex. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> yeah. He's the best. Um, yeah. You know, I think when you work in, in fashion media, you know so much about all of the brands and you really get to kind of like case study new brands, old brands, established brands, heritage brands. And I think there's just such like a depth and wealth of knowledge that you accumulate um, when you're covering these things. And, you know, when you're doing stories on the individuals themselves, um, you're able to kind of like have a look inside all of these different people and all of these different brands at the same time. And that's very rare. So it's definitely something where I, I didn't think that I could just like go in and do it. I was super nervous when I first started, because I was like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to learn. I'm going to figure it out. But I think there was that side of like, I've covered brands. I know like how it works, like, you know, the ins and outs of building a brand of like what makes a brand succeed, what makes a brand last, why some brands work and other brands don't. Um, and just kind of like knowing what's relevant and being on top of that. Um, I think that definitely helped me in my role. Well, you didn't say it this dramatic, but something to the effect of after Complex and Kith, where it was, it wasn't like the corporate rat race, but you wanted to set your own pace. You saw like, if I do my own thing, it won't be quite so, <laughs> which is interesting. And I want to ask you about this. It won't be, I, I think the the idea was more leisurely, yeah. um, but now you're running a $30 million yeah. business and I have a hunch it maybe slapped you in the face, but tell me <laughs> how you see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think a big part of that transition was just leaving New York also. I I visited LA a few times and I kind of fell in love with it. Um, you know, where I'm from is like, it's very slow pace. It's very calm. It's very quiet. It's the complete opposite from New York. And I felt that my time was done in New York. Um, you know, just, just the city in general, like it's exhausting. It's so fun. And I had the time of my life. I moved there when I was 20. And I think for those years, it was perfect. I wouldn't have wanted to be anywhere else. But, you know, I, as I got a little bit older, I was like, you know, I want a house and I want a yard and I want the sun and um, I want to be near the ocean. And, you know, just those like the aspects of uh, quality of life became more and more important to me. And I didn't see myself long term living in um, New York in a big city, you know, LA is still a big city, but it's different. It's so spread out. Like you kind of feel like you're in a big city, but not at the same time. Um, so I really wanted that and I was craving that. And I think, yeah, I think I was just burnt out um, from the city itself. And I really wanted to kind of build a life that I didn't need a vacation from and build a life where I didn't feel like, oh my God, I'm so stressed because of work. And, you know, I'm like doing this nine to five grind. And it's just like the rat race, as you say. Um, and so I really just wanted to kind of like create my own lifestyle and be in charge of that and I felt like LA was the place to do that um so that that was 
that was why I left. Yeah. The headquarters is not LA, right? And how come? So yeah, that's an interesting story. So essentially, um, my CEO, who's my ex-partner, um, he's he's a CEO of Sporty Rich, and you know, he kind of came on when we were still together. We split up um, a few years ago now, and he stayed on because you know he's done a great job. He's a great CEO. We're like we're kind of like we're a really good business duo. Like what he lacks, I'm good at, and what I lack, he's good at. And I feel like that's just that's what you need. It's like, it's a very rare thing when it happens, but when it happens, it's like you make magic. And I think that we've made magic with Sporting Rich and it's just been such an incredible journey um, because I've learned so much from him. He's learned a lot from me. Um, and we, yeah, we've really just built this thing that we had no intention of taking this far. You know, we hoped and dreamed for it, but you know, if you asked us four years ago, if you thought we would be in this position, we would say no. Um, <laughs> I think we just wouldn't expect it to be at this level. But um, yeah, so the whole team is based in Paris because um, he kind of like runs the operations. He's hired them. And I'm the only one in LA, which is strange, but it somehow works. I go back and forth and, you know, there's a lot of great talent in Paris also. That's like a huge part of it. And I'm like super grateful for that and for the team. And, you know, we have people who've come from like Saint Laurent and Celine and just like incredible backgrounds where I just feel like so lucky to, to be working alongside them. So I think that's a really great thing about having the office in Paris and it's really helped us a lot. Amazing. We've had founders on the show who have been uh, husband and wife <laughs> and they have interesting things to say about the dynamic. Uh, what would you say? Uh, easier to work with an ex or with a, a significant other? <laughs> I would say an ex. You know, when you're working with your partner, there's no separating work and personal. It's just you say that you want to, but it's impossible. You know, you work at the office all day together and you get home and what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about work and, <laughs> you know, you go on holiday and it's like, you're both working, but you're working on the right. same thing. So it's like less maybe <laughs> annoying, but um, totally. there's just no separation and there's no break from that. And I think that's really unhealthy for any relationship. Um, you know, now it's much easier because we have that separation, you know, obviously, we have a friendship, but we're able to kind of, when we talk about work, it's like we talk about work and then we kind of leave and we lead our own lives. And that's kind of the end of that. So I, I much prefer it now. Nice. Well, I was poking around because considering your um, creative background and expertise, I was like, is she creative director? But I didn't see that title. Um, tell me about um, your role. If you just have your hands in every area of the business and why you didn't tackle that that title. Yeah. You know, I don't, I just call myself a founder, I guess. Um, you know, we are, it's such a, we're still such a small brand and, you know, we're a team of like 30, but we should really be a team of 60. So everyone's doing everything, not just me. Um, we're all wearing a million different hats. Um, I, I'm definitely like the creative director of the brand and, you know, everything regarding visuals, the identity, marketing, communication, you know, strategy, is me and design. I, I design everything also myself. Um, so I'm doing a lot, but, you know, I'm also, you know, helping on the wholesale strategy. When we open the retail shop, 
I was in there like training the cafe staff. I made the menu. I like chose all the ingredients. I was dealing with the suppliers for the cafe, you know, like calling the alarm company, um, dealing with the (laughs) architect, like in there every day, like vacuuming the carpet, just like you just have to do everything. And I love it though. Like, I think if you're in this business, you're in it because you love it. And I'm just so fulfilled by it that, you know, I, I don't mind if I'm like in the bathroom cleaning toilets or like mopping the floor because it's like I'm building my dream, you know? But your marketing, because I mean, the imagery uh, is gorgeous. I mean, it looks like out of, out of a, well, you said you, you love print. It looks like out of a fashion magazine um, or a magazine of any kind, but um, print ready. It's not, I wouldn't say raw necessarily, which we're hearing is resonating, but like, would you say your marketing budget is going more towards uh, the photo shoots, the models, as opposed to, I don't know, throwing it into Meta or Facebook or any of those, would you say, uh, maybe that's a differentiator? Am I wrong? No, from the start, I really wanted the image to be a focus just because I feel like that's such an important part of building a brand and the storytelling. And, you know, I think there's a lot of brands out there and the product is incredible and the quality is like top, top notch, but the image and the marketing might not be as strong. And that really, that hurts the brand overall, because at the end of the day, what we're selling is a lifestyle and you're selling an image and it's an image that people want to be part of. And it's less so about the product. I'm not saying we're not also focused on making good quality product, but what I really think I'm good at is building a brand and building something that people, you know, want to be part of, want to feel like they can see themselves living that lifestyle that we've kind of created and that we show through our images. Um, I, I'm really passionate about creating strong images. Um, it's what I love to do. I think there's nothing, there's no better feeling than like having an idea in your head, putting a team together, production, being on set, seeing it happen, and then seeing the end result and it just being like, wow, this is exactly what I had in mind. Um, and it just being perfect. It's it's just like a, a great feeling and a great moment. Um, so yeah, from the start, the image is something I always wanted to be a focus. You know, just having covered brands in the past, you see the brands with a really strong image are the ones that kind of stand the test of time. You know, like I would say the best, the image with the best brand of all time is probably Ralph Lauren. And, you know, they're still as relevant today as they were 30 years ago. And I think just looking at those images from the nineties, you just feel such a sense of what that brand is about, you know, family being together, um, just like, the house in the country with the perfect dog and you know the kids and the perfect couple and it's just like you want to be you want to be in that image you want that to be your life and i think that's it's it's really it's hard to do um because it it's just like you have to have a certain like sensibility and a certain eye um cuz it uh, you could spend a ton of money on a photo shoot, but it could easily not come out looking great because you just, you don't have that like understanding visually of like how to 
make an impactful image or make an, an image that people will resonate with or feel something from. Tell me about the resale market. Have you seen anything crazy out there in terms of, I, I would think that this is having an impact on you and how you do business because I think you're doing regular drops and probably limited quantities and I'm sure that's impacting, yeah, sales, all the things. Yeah, there's definitely a high demand for, you know, especially Adidas, that collaboration. People loved it, which was great. Um, people do resell the shoes. Um, you know, when we launched them in the store the first day we opened, I really didn't want to sell to resellers, you know, like guys coming in who are buying like a size six. And I'm just like, I know it's not for you. Like, it's obvious, you know. And so now, like, we try to just, not let people buy in stores. The only way we can do this, but we try to let only people buy for themselves. Um, like you're not, you can't buy for a friend. You can't buy for a girlfriend. Like if you're not here and it's not for you, like, I'm sorry, we can't sell you the shoe just because I feel like it's really unfair to the customers who actually want the shoe for themselves, you know, to allow these people to buy them and then to turn around and resell them for a much higher price. And then our customer who actually loves the brand and loves the shoe can't even buy them it's just really unfair and I feel bad. And, you know, we try to do as much as we can to eliminate that. Um, but it's really hard. Like you can't, you can't like cut out the reseller market altogether. So, you know, there's things we can do online raffles. You can do, um, you can avoid bots, uh, with, you know, different kind of like backend technology on the website. But, um, it's my, it's my hope that, you know, in the future we can kind of create more product um, to kind of serve everyone who wants to buy it. Well, tell me who your customer is in general. I know you've got an internet. It's like you're expanding international and all the things. If you, do you have a, a kind of a demo that you speak to? Yeah. Um, you know, from the start, the brand has been super international, which is rare because usually brands, you know, they have strategies to go into different markets and, you know, to kind of tap into like UK or France or Australia, Asia, but from the beginning, we've had a really international base. I think that's because I've had a really international following um, from the start, just through complex and, you know, people from all over the world, you know, watched my videos. And I think that really helped the brand a lot in a big way. Um, the fact that I had this following, um, you know, for, wait, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Um, demo of kind of your, your oh, yeah, yeah. Number, I guess. Um, our demographic is super wide. Um it's you know, we have like the 16-year-old hype beast um who's buying it for him and his girlfriend. And then we have like the 45-year-old mom who like lives in Santa Barbara and like wears a sweatshirt on the way to Pilates, and then everything in between, we kind of we have this like really uniquely wide demographic of people. And, you know, I think wholesale has been a really big part of that because, you know, we saw on like Annette Porte where like that cool chic mom was going to find it. But then, you know, we also sell in like Hypebeast in Asia where that young kid is going to wear it with his sneaker collection and, you know, kind of like collect it and, we have, you know, girls who like the health and wellness girlies who like love their smoothies and air one and, you know, <laughs> going to the yoga class like me. <laughs> um, yes. And then, yeah, we just, we have such a wide, a wide audience. Um, I don't, I don't try to like speak to anyone in particular. I kind of am just like doing what I love 
And, you know, like tapping into that identity that I feel like is very authentically me. And I feel like whoever that resonates with, like, great, like join us, be part of this. Um, it's, yeah, it's just kind of like open. Yes. I was going to ask about wholesale partners, net porte in the States. Is that, is that the a number one or any others? Um, so in the US, we've kept it quite limited just because we don't want to compete with ourselves. Our online business, you know, it's is a focus, of course, and has to be. Um, we are going to be launching a Nordstrom soon, which is exciting. Um, worked with Gian on that. Uh, you know, we have a lot of wholesalers internationally, Asia, Australia, Europe. Um we have around like 130 doors total. So we have a pretty healthy um, wholesale business. And, you know, I think in the past few years, like when D2C has become quite strong, people have been like, oh, you don't need wholesale. Wholesale is not good for the business, blah, blah, blah. It's going to kill you. But I really think wholesale is important because it just creates exposure. You know, people who might not find your brand is going to shop in Selfridge is one of the biggest, best department stores in the world. And they see Sporting Rich and, you know, now you have a customer. Um, and, you know, even especially in Asia and like places that are way further away where people wouldn't necessarily come across our brand, they're discovering it. And so that really helps. It's like a point of discovery and also just being able to do different activations with these stores. That's great. You know, bring some energy and buzz to the brand. And um yeah, I think it's it's really important to have wholesale partners who are loyal and who believe in you and the brand and your vision is really something I don't take for granted. And um, we have those partners who have been with us since the beginning and they've just really kind of helped us and are part of the reason why we are where we are now. Right on. Well, I was going to ask you, as you mentioned Erwan, I was going to say, is there a sporting rich Erwan smoothie? But I feel like the new question should be like asking other brands that want to be in your world, like, is there a sporty and rich smoothie? <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> you guys have that, that's part of the business now, right? You've got your little cafe. Yeah, now we have our smoothie bar, we have bone broth, we have juice, we have coffee, matcha tea. Um, and I did the whole menu myself just because obviously, like, I'm passionate about that. Um, we I did make like a Barbie smoothie last month for like Barbie mania. I was just like, why not? Like, let's try. And it's sold so well. Like people come in all the time asking for that Barbie smoothie. It's obviously pink. Um, so smart. That's so fun. <laughs> yeah. So just being able to do things like that, it's just like, it's so fun and it just makes me happy. And it's just like to do something like it's so quick and instant and like seeing, you know, people's response in real time is really special. Tell me about the sporty and rich, your values, who you are, the the brand. I mean, is, does it go without saying we're sporty, we're rich? <laughs> <laughs> what more would you add? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, it's really just that combination of the two. Um, I think people have been dressing like this for ages, you know, Princess Diana coming from the gym, but also having a Gucci bag, like that is quintessential sporting and rich. And I think we've just taken it to more like literal terms. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't think it's anything new or groundbreaking. Um, people have been dressing like this for ages. Um, you know, for me, it's just a style that I really, really love and I'm just passionate about. And when I see that combination, I don't know, I just think it's, it's works so well and it just looks so good. Um, so that was really kind of the meaning behind, you know, the brand's name and just kind of like the entire visual identity of the brand is that look. And 
I think, you know, for us values, definitely health, prioritizing your health. Since I have experienced burnt out, um, I think I really kind of understood and wanted people to understand the fact that like this idea of never not working is not cool and it's not what you should strive for. You know, it's really about balance and, you know, taking care of yourself and valuing your health, um, you know, spending time with people around you rather than like having your head buried in emails and work and just really this, yeah, this, you, this balance that kind of makes for like a well-rounded, um, higher quality of life. So, you know, we, we emphasize that through the campaigns and now the cafe and now the spa and the store and even just, you know, the slogans we put on the clothing. Um, I think it's just kind of, I think it's just helping people and especially my generation to understand that you don't need to burn out and you don't need to have a crazy work schedule where you feel like you can't keep up to be successful. Like, I don't think that's the definition of success anymore. I think at one point it was, but I definitely think it's changing. And, you know, I, I wanted to be part of that change and kind of like bringing that message to light. Right on. I feel like if my mother listens to this, she's going to say, you listen to that, Emily. She's very wise. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Um, (laughs) But I would say you talk a little bit about kind of, you know, people have been dressing like this for a while. And like, even with your Instagram, like, I wouldn't say it was like the newest vibe, but it was what I loved. Like, tell me what you would owe your success. Is it just like a combination of like the timing and your own, you know, you you were kind of gaining your own following and um, your experience and what what do you owe your success? You've had these amazing collaborations, which I'm not sure if that had to do with your experience in the past and making those relationships, building those relationships. But yeah, I mean, it's a big question. What do you owe your success? But what yeah. what are the yeah? What would you say? I mean, I always think it's like thirty percent luck. I think there's a lot of luck involved. Of course, it's right time, right place. You know, at the time when we launched our Instagram, there wasn't a lot of Instagram mood boards. Um, you know, now you see them everywhere and there's a lot of them, but it was it was a relatively new thing. I mean, you know, Tumblr was huge um before Instagram, and that's kind of where I started, like Blogspot and Tumblr. And then just taking that to Instagram when Instagram launched. Um, I definitely think I was one of the first. Um So that helped, uh, you know, I think just having a unique point of view and tying all of these things together, like, you know, there's sportswear and it exists separately. And then there's like the luxury kind of elevated fashion side of things. But then I think combining that was, I think I just did it in like my own unique way um, through my eye and kind of told that through the images that we posted, the combination of images that we posted I think that was also a big part of it. Um, you know, I didn't invent these this look at all, and I don't claim that I do, but I think that I popularized it in a way um, and maybe helped people discover it. Um, and, you know, I think also having a great team is such a big part of it. You know, I think you have to know what you don't know. And I definitely know what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And I think just making sure if you can just having the best people do the things that you're not good at um, because ultimately it takes a village and, you know, one person is not responsible for the success of any brand or any company, you know, there's so many people 
there's so much talent and skill and just knowledge from so many different people that makes something successful. Um, so I've, I'm super lucky to just have like an incredible team and from the start have have such a great team. And I think just also knowing knowing who you are and knowing what your brand is. You know, I think there's a lot of brands who chase trends and they're like, okay, tennis is big this season. So now we're going to do tennis. Whereas with us, it's it's more like the brand is me and it's who I am. So it's like, we started doing tennis because I'm an avid tennis player. I love playing tennis. It's like one of the only sports that I actually like. Um, we, you know, we kind of, we have a lot of health focused mottos and, you know, we have like our wellness club and that's because I'm super passionate in my daily life on my free time about health. So, you know, it's, it's just very, you know, it's very much about who I am rather than a board of people being like, what's cool this season? What's the trend? What should we go after? What should we make? What should we sell? And I heard on the Throwing Fits podcast, you're hiring, you're doing all the interviewing, all the hiring. Is there something that you, um, or I don't know, all the hiring, and you're talking to everyone, even in stores, like, store, is yeah. there something that you've come to learn about, um, like, what makes a strong employee, a loyal employee? Um, yeah. Who's a fit? Yeah. Um, you know, the store, I really wanted to be super involved in that hiring process just because it, it's such a reflection of who we are. It's our first one. It's a, it's a really big deal for me personally and for the brand. So I just wanted to be like an accurate reflection of us and of me. Um, you know, I really, I really think being kind and being like a nice person is, is not something you come across often. And I think just like genuinely nice people is something I really wanted in the store because I, I you know when people come in I want them to feel super welcome super comfortable super at home I never like this vibe of going into a store and like it being pretentious and snotty and like you know you feel judged or you feel like you know maybe the staff doesn't want to help you because you don't look like you can afford to shop there or just just this I just hate this whole feeling and I wanted the total opposite of that so I think you know kind people you know, as I mentioned on Throwing Fits, like a high EQ, being emotionally intelligent, um, just being able to read people and their feelings and to be able to interact with them and just kind of connect and see people on like a human level. I think that totally makes for a great boss and just a great coworker and just a great person in general. I think that's a skill I look for, even in friends. Um that's definitely super important. And I, I think, you know, it, it's nice if people are into wellness and health, it's not like a prerequisite, but just if they have a general understanding of the brand um, is, is nice. And it's kind of, you know, it helps them sell the product better, sell the brand better, sell the story better. You know, if people come in, they don't know what the brand is. It, it definitely helps them you know, kind of give them a bit of a background on who we are, what we stand for, what the brand's about. Um, and then I think just like in fostering a good team and leading a good team, I read this book a long time ago, Start With Why by Simon Sinek, who I love. Um, he's great. He he basically um, writes and does lectures about being a leader rather than being a, like a boss and like leading with like inspiration rather than authority. And I never, I've, I've never been this, I don't even like bossing people around or telling people what to do. Like it makes me uncomfortable. Um, I, I think it's better to lead by example, you know, so if, like if I'm in the store and I'm, you know, vacuuming, cleaning the mirrors, 
dusting the shelves. It's kind of like if the owner of the business is doing that, then it shouldn't, I don't think anyone should feel like it's a, it's beneath them. You know what I mean? And I think just like showing people that you care and that nothing is beneath you. Like I would do any job at, I don't care what it is for the brand just because I believe in it and I love it and it's my baby. Um, And I think you just have to just be an inspiring leader and just, you know, I think not talking down to people is huge. It's like, you don't talk at them. You speak to them, you speak with them. You kind of, I think just like treating people like people is really like a lost art. And when you bark orders at someone, like it's never, you're never going to get what you want. You're never going to get the result. You're never, it's never going to get done in any relationship, like, you know, in a romantic relationship, in a friendship, in a professional relationship, like it's just not how, it's not how you get what you want. So I think that's, that's like another big thing. So I just think, yeah, being able to have that emotional intelligence and, you know, I, I didn't go to school. I don't come from an academic background. I would say I'm more street smart than like book smart. And I think that's, that's really what I value in in our company. And that's really, I think it takes you further. You know, I think there's only some things that school teaches you. Um, You know, I think life teaches you much more important lessons. Just, you know, it just teaches you how to like get through life where school teaches you how to like have this one skill. And I think yeah, it's it's just it's a totally different thing. I think both are valuable, but I I do think having that street smarts is really what what makes people successful. Yeah, well, you kind of said it with Kith. You got thrown into the mix. You didn't exactly know how to do it. Yeah, <laughs> you figured it out because yeah. darn it, you're there. Yeah. And then I mean, you're reading books on leadership. You who needs school? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it sounds like you figured it out. Um, tell me about this amazing store because clearly there's a demand and I think you have larger visions for maybe your next, your next retail store if there is another one, but like somebody, I think it was like Sarah Foster or somebody, she's like, where is the place where you can work out? Which I know that's not a gym or anything right now, but she's like, and you can get your lymphatic massage. You can get your cold plunge. Like anyway, but she's like, there's not a one-stop shop, but is that the vision? Something to that effect. But like right now the store is doing so many things. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, it's definitely been my vision to make like a sporting rich country club where you have everything, you know, colonics, your naturopath, you can do your blood work, you can do your tennis lessons, you can go to the pool, you can see your trainer, you can do a Pilates class. That is like my dream. And that's like blue sky for me. Um, you know, it would take a lot of resources and a lot of investment. So we're not quite there yet, but one day I hope to have these, you know, in every major city. Um, I definitely think there's in the past few years, there's been a lot more popping up, like kind of social wellness clubs. But I I think for me, when I, I go to them, what they're missing is they only have so many treatments, first of all. And second, I think just kind of like an identity um, is missing. So I think that's what we would bring that would kind of differentiate us from the other, you know, gyms and wellness clubs. And I think, um, you know, just me being passionate about health and wellness, like I know exactly what services people need and want. Um, and I, I know like the best health experts and practitioners in that world. And I think it would just be like a dream place. And it's where I want to go and spend my time and want to live. So (laughs) 
<laughs> I would assume that it made opening the store even more compli- complicated with like different, I don't know, permits or whatever, different approval. Like I'm sure it wasn't just like setting up shop. Um, yeah. Yeah? There, right? yeah, there was a lot. I mean, I would love to offer way more. You know, it's it's what we could fit in the space and what we were able to do. But I think it's definitely a good start and like a preview and look into what we could build in the future on a bigger scale. Um, but yeah, like I was the one who was training the practitioners. Obviously, they had backgrounds in like facials and massage, but I wanted it done a specific way. And, you know, I, I like to kind of oversee everything that we do and just make sure it's, exactly what I would want if I was the customer and just like providing that experience that you feel like, wow, this was a great service or this was a great smoothie or, oh, wow, that matcha was amazing. Like, I just want that feeling across the board for everything that we do. Totally. We are so almost out of time, but I just have to ask with, um, considering your, your placement, you're, you're all about wellness. You, I mean, have collections made for outdoor sports, <laughs> pandemic times, like this just served you well. Yeah. Like, I mean, for better, I mean, it wasn't a great time for anyone, but yeah. um, this was a thriving time for the company. Yeah. I, I was really worried when, you know, COVID started, I was like, there's no way we're going to survive this. No one's going to be shopping. No one's going to be buying anything. Like we are just a brand that is not necessary or crucial in any way. Um, so I was pretty nervous, but, you know, I think the fact that we are like, so focused on loungewear really helped us and served us well. Um, and our sales just really skyrocketed during COVID. I think that was like our, that was our moment where we really went from like a small merch brand to like, okay, we're a real brand now. That was when we transitioned because we launched as pre-order, um, that was when we transitioned from pre-order doing everything on a really small scale. We had like three of us working on the brand to like, okay, we need to switch and we need to do it in the matter of like days. Otherwise we're not going to survive this just because the demand was so high and we weren't prepared for that. Um, so we just had to, you know, set so many different back end backbones for the company, switch to like real production, buying units, you know, like getting a logistics center, just everything across the board in the matter of like a week or two. So it's extremely stressful, but like, I'm so glad that we, we were able to pull it off. Yes. That's amazing. Tell me about what's next. Um, I mean, is fundraising ever, do you want to be doing that? Are you good? You own it outright. Yes. Yes. And yeah. What are your plans? Is that necessary? And, um, I guess, it depends on your your pace of growth that you have planned, but talk to me. Yeah. Um, you know, we started the brand as pre-order. So when people ask me, like, how much money did you start it with? It's really kind of like nothing because we weren't we weren't paying to make anything and we weren't paying to have anything done until we actually took the orders and then we would produce. So, you know, that's kind of like a good safety net, but you can only do pre-order to, at a certain level, like on a small level, because, you know, it doesn't work when you're producing thousands of quantities and units. Um, you know, there's always delays and you can just never foresee that timeline. Um, so I think that helps us a lot. You know, now we've gotten to a point where we've funded ourselves, um, up until this point and we've done a really good job, but I think we're just at that kind of tipping point where, to take ourselves to the next level, we do need funding. And so I think we're going to start to kind of go out and raise money in the fall. 
um, just because we need to fuel our growth. We need to keep up with our growth. We're kind of like at that point where we were when we first started, where we're keeping up. You know, now we're in a really good spot, but just to be able to take it from like 30 to 50, from 50 to 100, from 100 to 150, you know, eventually I want this to be like a 200 million a year brand. You know, you need help for that. Um, So, and also just like having strategic help, you know, people who've done this at that scale, at a way bigger scale than we are, just kind of like advising on like, okay, what's the next steps? Who should we hire? Like, who's a good person for this role? Um, What do we need to be doing next? Just stuff like that. So yeah, I do want to be doing that. It's, It's time for us. It's time. Well, I am so excited to follow all your success. Good for you. <laughs> Emily, thanks for being here. This was great. Thank you so much. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.